0: Welcome to today's episode of the All Things Podcast. I am super excited to introduce you to our new Redemption Press author, Denise Wilson, author of seven words you never want to hear, how to be sure you won't she has an incredible Romans eight twenty eight story to share today and some incredible insight into one of the most misunderstood scriptures in the Bible. Today, rather than having a second interview, I'm going to be unpacking the scriptures, the different concepts that she talked about in our conversation, and just really wrapping up the podcast with some thoughts on the book. So first, let me give our guest a proper introduction. Denise Wilson is a wife, homeschool mom, and follower of Jesus. Her life has been an adventure. She lives in small town Ontario on her husband's family farm. Her kids are the sixth generation to live there. If you stop by and you don't find her at home, you'll probably find her in the barn looking after the chickens. This is at least her third book, third book you might be asking? Well, she doesn't remember the first two. Yes, that's been the problem in the past. They never got beyond her imagination and some scrawled and printed notes that are now filed away. So many ideas, many of them crazy. You can ask her brothers about that. Finally, she has a completed project, and it isn't just any project, let me tell you that. Seven words you never wanna hear has been born out of a deep desire to see people come to know and experience Christ as both Savior and Lord. Since she was a child, this has been the desire of her heart. When Denise was young, she would even pray that the devil would become a Christian. I love that. Such was her faith in the impossible. As she became a teenager and experienced God's saving grace, that longing to see others know Jesus never left her. All right, let's roll that conversation. Well, Denise, it is wonderful to have you here today on the All Things Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us all the way from Canada. Thank you for having me. You bet. So we are going to jump into your book in a minute but before we do that i would love to have our audience just hear a little bit of behind the scenes a story on how god has worked all things together for good from romans 8:28 we just love to keep that theme throughout our show so just tell us a story that will give us a peek into your life
1: sure Well, the the story that immediately comes to mind happened uh, about 20 years ago. And this was when I was pregnant with our first child. And as a pregnant mother for the first time, you know how exciting that is. And things were going very well with the pregnancy. As the baby started moving, I was very excited. And then about five, five and a half months into the pregnancy, there was a little glitch and I found I was found I was bleeding and I I wasn't alarmed at first cuz I thought oh well it's probably nothing but my in-laws I told them and they rushed you know they rushed me to the hospital the doctor examined me and he said you're going to lose the baby and I was devastated I called my husband he was weeping on the on the telephone they took me to the hospital and they the baby was still alive they kind of elevated my feet they gave me anti-labor drugs did everything they could and we prayed and we prayed god you know we want this baby but not not our will we want your will and and we prayed and all of our friends prayed and then after about three days in hospital god's will was clear the baby started coming again and we delivered and we had a little baby boy and we didn't have a name at first. We called him Samuel because my husband held him in his arms and he died in his arms. And, mm-hmm. and it was really difficult, but we called him Samuel. Cause we felt like, you know, it, when Hannah had Samuel, it was like, she, she prayed for a child and then she gave him back to the Lord. And that's, that's how we felt in that moment felt that, you know, we prayed and that was God's answer and he gave us peace, an incredible yeah. amount of peace as we were going through that. And what happened after the baby was born, I decided the nurses were so great that I wanted to give them Bibles. And so we decided we I would give them Gideon Bibles because that was the first thing that came to my mind. But we weren't Gideons. And so we tried to get some and realized that because we weren't Gideons, we actually couldn't give Gideon Bibles so we my mom got me these uh women's devotional Bibles and I gave them to all the nurses. And but what happened at that moment through this, you know, this situation, this this was so devastating for us, was we ended up joining the Gideons. And that was one of the good things that came from that situation. We knew that God was in control, we trusted him, he gave us peace, and we ended up joining the Gideons, and that was 20 years ago, over 20 years ago. And as a result, we are very involved and we go to fairs and festivals. We give out Bibles and we, have as a result, that was the impetus to get us to, to join. And just a quick little thing, what happened after that? I got pregnant again and the story is not quite over, but I got pregnant again. And because of the, the doctor put a stitch in this time because he's, you know, they said they realized what my problem was. They gave me a stitch to keep, um, Um, my uterus closed. And then about 20 weeks in, I went into labor again. And we had a stillborn little girl named Hannah. And, and, you know, because of the first situation, it was so difficult. But at the same time, I had even more peace. And the way I had more peace was because I knew that if everybody was praying, and God still chose to take our child, to me, I, I just felt like God is in control. I know that God's in control, but because of that, I had more peace because it was out of our control. And I knew that if everyone's praying and God has, that was God's will. I just had an incredible amount of peace as I went through that as difficult as it was, I just mm-hmm. felt surrounded by God's love. And that situation has, has helped me when I'm with other people to to help them to comfort them in their sorrow, it's given me empathy, and it strengthened my faith. So through all of that, God was working to strengthen my faith, to get us involved with the Gideons, which has enabled us to distribute so many Bibles. And Mm. the good news is, my next pregnancy, I had a son, he was nine pounds, 11 ounces. Wow, I couldn't couldn't give birth to a one pound baby. But in God's (laughs) Sovereign will. I yeah. had a beautiful son, his name's George, followed by his brother Josiah. So, God, he worked it all out. He gave us our family. He gave me, he strengthened my faith. And, yeah. you know, I believe he, God's in control. And when we trust yeah. him, he will give us peace because he promises, right?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that story. Okay. So, I want to start a conversation about your book. We met at Right to Publish at Wheaton College, so I have fond memories of that. But tell us why you wrote the book and what are the seven words?
1: Yes. Well, I wrote the book initially as a letter. It started as a letter to my siblings. They all profess faith. We, we all grew up in the same Christian home, and yet I fear that none of them truly know the Lord. There's no fruit. There's no evidence in their life of saving faith, and I have such a concern for them. And, and there's so many, I'm sure, in other people's families, in our churches. And the seven words, I'll read you the passage that it comes from. It comes from Matthew chapter 7, and It says, And those are the seven words, I never knew you depart from me. And I can't think of more frightening words, because from that passage, you see the people who are hearing those words are professing Christians, people who did things in the name of Jesus. And those are the ones who are going to hear those words, and they're not expecting it.
0: And that is, so your book is a wake up call, really, for those who could end up in that situation. So your first chapter is called the Christian home syndrome. What do you mean by that?
1: Yeah, well, a lot of kids like myself who grew up in Christian homes, I think often what happens is you get, you're so familiar with the message of the gospel. You hear it, you've memorized the Bible verses, have had multiple opportunities to ask Jesus into your heart. And their words. And often what happens is it doesn't translate into true repentance. And I tell the story in my book of uh, Charles Washer. And I don't know if you are, listeners, are familiar with Paul Washer. He's mm-hmm. a well known evangelist. And Charles his wife. And she grew up in a Christian home, went to Christian school, decided she wanted to be a missionary. She married Paul Washer. They went to Peru. Um, and they were missionaries for 12 years there, and when they came home, he would go around preaching a message called, I can't remember what it was called, are you sure that you're saved, something like that, and she would sit in the audience, because he preached it at different churches, and she would hear him preach it, and she said, you know, she would squirm in her seat as she listened to it, because she began to realize that she couldn't actually pass the test, and she became concerned and one day she mentioned it to her husband, and he encouraged her to, you know, spend some time f- trying to figure it out. So she went to the book of First John, and there's a lot of tests about true faith in First John. And she came to the conclusion that she, at 32 years old, missionary married to Paul Washer, was not actually saved. And you know, that sounds like and her her, her own friends were like, Are you sure? You know, are you sure you're you, you know you're that this is true, that you, you're not really saved. And she's like, you know, I know myself. And she said there was never true repentance. She never really saw herself as a sinner, even though she was doing all the outward things that she really realized that she truly didn't know the Lord. And she made it right with God. and she And she accepted him for real and became a true disciple. But that's just to show that, you know, the Bible says, don't be deceived. Like if someone who's a missionary, who's married to a pastor, you know, can be deceived into thinking that they have a faith that they don't, anyone can, because the Bible says there are many, many. So this is not just a little problem. The you know, the Bible says the road is narrow, um, right? few there are that find it. So that's, my book is an encouragement for people to examine themselves, because that's what... We're told to do in Corinthians, it says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? So this is my book is a wake-up call. It's a call for people to truly examine themselves. If they profess faith, it's for anyone who professes faith in Christ to examine themselves, to take the test, to be sure that they are in the faith.
0: So so what does that look like to actually examining ourselves? I mean, would you just go through a specific scripture chapter that would give you the kind of check 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 or uh-oh, I can't check that. Yeah.
1: Well, there's multiple ways of examining yourself and throughout the book I have different chapters that deal with different aspects like one is called one's to examine the fruit because you'll know them by their fruit right and so that's one way of examining ourselves the other one is by our obedience this is a test it's the bible says and we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments so that's a very clear verse we can be sure because god wants us wants us to be sure wants us to have that security if we obey his commandments. And the flip side of that is if we don't obey his commandments, we can't be sure. If we're living a life for ourselves and not caring about following the Lord or obeying what he says, I mean, in a Christian who doesn't obey, that's a little bit off, right? And so if, if you're living a life and to do what you want to do, then that's that's a test, and and the book of First John that I mentioned is a, is a great place to go if someone wants to examine themselves. And just recently, actually, a friend of mine was telling me. Actually, it was she sent me the link. It was her mother's uh, memorial service, and in that service, she was telling about how when she was eight years old, she prayed and accepted the Lord. But then when she was twelve, she had doubts, and she went to her mom with doubts. And her mom, rather than saying, well, did you, I remember you prayed? So don't don't worry, you're saved, which was what a lot of people would do, they take them back to an event, which is not the way to, to to find out if you're truly saved. You don't go back and say, Oh, but don't you remember you prayed? Don't doubt or remember you were baptized? No, what her mother did was she took her to the book of First John 12 year old girl, she took her to the book of First John, which has all kinds of tests of true faith. And I would encourage anyone who is questioning, am I really saved? Go to the book of First John, take the tests. Like I say, in my book, I have chapters on different aspects of it. examining your fruit, examining your obedience, examine your loves, light versus darkness. There is no darkness in in Him. Now, that's not to say we never do anything wrong. It's that it's the pattern of our life, right? And what is the pattern of our life? Are we seeking to please the Lord? Do I love my sin, or do I hate my sin? Those are good tests. Do I love my? If I, if I am lo- loving my sin and have no desire to change, I think that's a really good sign that maybe maybe you're not really saved. So, like, as we all we all fail, we all sin. But it's what is the desire of our hearts? Do we want to please the Lord? Or are we out to please ourselves? I think those are really good tests.
0: Mm. And it's really a sign of humility to be willing. Absolutely. Yeah. Like the scripture about test me, O Lord. Yeah.
1: Search me, O God, Search and know my, my heart. God. Yes. My heart. <laughs> Try me. Yes.
0: That's so important.
1: Yes, yeah. Like, I think that's a really good point, Athena, because, you know, when we're confronted with our sin, how do we respond? Do we try to spin it? Do we try to deny it? Or are we willing, willing to admit it? Because mm-hmm. repentance is a huge part of, of truly being born again, because repentance is, is, a, is a theme throughout the whole New Testament. You find John the Baptist saying, repent, you know, we find right. G- then when Jesus comes along and he's, t- he's saying, repent. And then he, t- he's the disciples go around preaching repentance. And then you go to the book of Acts and you have Peter saying, repent and be baptized. And, and then you go to the book of revelation and to, to the churches. What is the message to the churches is repent. Yeah. So the yeah. thread of repentance is throughout the whole Bible. And so for people who think all you have to do is, is pray this simple little prayer, because people use those words, all you have to do is say these words, right. those are the, you hear that often, all you have to do. But, you know, but it's interesting, because the Bible says, if all you have to do is pray those simple words, and you ask yourself, why did Jesus tell us that entering the kingdom of God is hard, and that the road is narrow, and that there are few who find it. and I mean, the gospel is still simple. It is just, it is to believe, believe in the message, but you have to acknowledge your sin first. And I think that's a step which people forget. People present the gospel often just telling the good news. They don't present people and let them know that they're sinners. But if you can't acknowledge your sin, then you can't be saved. You don't need a savior. (laughs) Absolutely. Yes. So they got to present the bad news before you can present the good news. And I think that's missing often in our presentations
0: of the gospel. Oh, and I think that's the prosperity doctrine that has kind of taken over our country. You know, it's salvation without repentance.
1: Yes. And I have have a few chapters in my book on the topic. I've got one called the gospel of self, which is the whole, you know, it's all about you and what God can do for you and uh, just believe and it's yours. And, Mm -hmm. and it's about just, Yeah. It's, 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 it's all about you. Right. And then there's the gospel of greed. I have another chapter, the gospel of greed, which is all about, you know, all these prosperity preachers, you know, give me this, and then you'll be blessed dismount, you know, like that. And it's, and it's really, it's really, really a shame because people fall for that. And as a result, they miss out on the simplicity and the truth of the true gospel And it's, we really have to be careful ourselves when we're presenting that we present it correctly as well, that we don't deceive people telling them, this is it, just, just believe in Jesus because the demons believe in Jesus, right? Right. (laughs) I mean, they believe in God, but they also, the demons believe in Jesus and they know he's the son of God. In the book of Acts, we have passages where the demons cry out, this is the son of God. So they get it. But the, the difference is there's no commitment there's no surrendering to the lord
0: right right, right. so spirit and truth right you yeah. ha- kind of have that you have, we have to the the grace is that's mm-hmm. good but you have to have the truth that we yes are. we do need to repent and yes that, yeah that's not as popular no as it's not message no. as you know, oh. come to Jesus, and he'll give you everything you want.
1: Absolutely. I have another I have a chapter in the book called confession. And the definition, the true definition of confession is to say the same thing as another. So in other words, in um, spiritual sense, to confess our sins to God is to agree with God, that what he calls sin really is sin. And you know, there's a lot of things people don't want to agree with God about, you know, that are, that are sin. And nowadays it's getting, it's getting worse and worse and worse that people are accepting things that the Bible clearly says are not, are not right. And he, a holy God does not, he does not accept. And yet we are trying to say that they're okay. And that's why people need to get into God's words too, because they need to see for themselves. This is what God says. Don't believe anybody. If they're telling you something, that's not, In God's word. So confession is huge, because we do need to agree with God. God says, this is wrong, it's wrong. God says, this is right, it's right. And we need Mm. to, that's where we need to find our answers
0: is from his word. Amen. Amen. So do you believe that how we live is an indicator of true spiritual life? We've kind of touched on this already. But
1: yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And What comes to my mind when you ask that, Athena, is I think of there's there's several passages in the Bible that give lists of activities that the Bible says if this is the pattern of your life, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And like I think that there's a tendency for people, you know, when if somebody says, Oh, well, if you if you're living this way well, then you you might not be a Christian to say, well, that's legalistic. You can't say that, right? But, you know, I can say whatever the Bible says. (laughs) So I stand on good authority. And I think that, you know, you mentioned humility, that it's humility that we need to accept. You know what, if this is what God says, I need to examine myself. And there's passages, I'll just read you from one of them. There's passage in Galatians, Ephesians, Ephesians, romans and corinthians and each of those passages give lists of activities if this is the pattern of your life you will not inherit the kingdom of god i'll read one of them from corinthians it says do you not realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of god don't fool yourselves those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves, or greedy people, or drunkards, or abusive people, or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. So that's the bad news. And I say there are four, at least four passages that give a list, similar lists that say you will not inherit the kingdom of God. If that's the pattern of your life, if your life is characterized by these things, you need to examine yourself. But then there's the good news in the Corinthians passage, Here comes the good news, and we all want good news. And it says, such were some of you, right? But you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. So the bad news is, if this is the pattern of your life, then you need to examine yourself, because the Bible says you will not inherit the kingdom of God. But such were some of you. When we are born again, The Bible says we'll never be the same. And that's a task. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. All things are passed away. All things have become new. We're not sinless, but we are daily, hopefully being sanctified, becoming more like Jesus. And that is the desire of our heart. If that's the desire, that's a good sign. But we need to be careful because the Bible is very clear on so many places. And we gloss over these passages and we don't take it seriously sometimes i think and you know we think oh god he's loving and everything's going to be good mm-hmm. in the end and if we know him and and we're seeking after him it, it will but you know the the reason we share the gospel with with people is because there is a heaven and there is a hell and we and we need to we need to be sharing the true gospel we need to be pointing people to the scriptures not to what's politically correct
0: right amen amen so just as a wrap up, how can we be sure that we won't hear those seven words? I think you just kind of I did. told just, us.
1: That's but. okay. That's okay. You know, we, we, we need to going back to the verse that I read at the beginning. I said, examine yourselves. How can we be sure? We can be sure by examining ourselves to see whether we are in the faith, testing ourselves and make sure that we can pass the test. So just in to recap, go to the book of First John. My book gives lots of different tests if you'd like to go through the tests that are written there, the test of obedience, the test of fruit, the tests of what we love. And so just just really it's it's too important to i say I say in the book, don't wait until death to find out if you got it right. You yeah. know. And I share a quote on the back of the book, I have a quote by Tozer, he said, it's my opinion that 10s of 1000s, if not millions have been brought into some kind of religious experience by accepting Christ, and they have not been saved. And the point, the point of the book is how can you be sure and, and go to the scripture and and don't don't rest if there's anybody who has doubts. And as believers, we're all to constantly be examining ourselves, just to make sure that we're right with the Lord and I mean if if we're saved, once we're saved, we're always saved. that's not the, the point isn't that but a lot of people who think they're saved, this is the point yeah. may not truly be saved and that's
0: mm. that's what we need to be careful and be sure of. Amen. amen. So to wrap this up, I would love for you to just give a tip or a tool that you have found in your life that has helped you, trust God, knowing that even when things are bad, he's going to use it for good. He's going to work good from it, Mm -hmm. but not for everybody, right? To those who love him and are Mm -hmm. called according to his purpose.
1: Yeah. I think that it's, you know, like I say, we need to get into God's word and the way, and when we get into God's word, we learn the character of God. And the more you know someone, the more you can trust them. And yeah. if we when when we get to know God, we realize that He is sovereign, He does have a plan, He works His plan, and He never fails. And when we read through from the Old Testament to the New, we see God working His plan. And when we see that in this, in like in the, my own story that I shared at the beginning, it's like, I had peace because I could trust God. I trust the character of God. I know that he's working things for my good. Therefore, whatever comes into my life, I can have peace. And, you know, because he's, you know, he's not going to bring bad. like K. Arthur in the precepts, she always, she talks about how God filters things through his fingers of love, right? Whatever comes into mm-hmm. your life. filtered through God's fingers of love. And so it's just knowing God is the way that we can have peace and that we can trust him in all things.
0: Mm, So, so good. Well, it has been delightful to have finally, we tried a couple two or three times to make this happen. So such an important message. So many people just need their eyes opened, need to see the truth and, and come at it with a humble heart and be willing to say, man, I have been deceiving myself and I'm thankful that we were able to help you get into print so that those people that need to have that wake up call will be able to, and I'm just going to continue to pray that God opens many doors for you and the book. Thank you. You bet. So good to have you today. Thank you. Great to be here. Amen. Did you know that the Bible tells us in Proverbs 28, 1, that the righteous are bold as a lion? And you know what lions do, right? They roar. So the She Writes for Him team wants to help you fine tune your roar. If God has redeemed you and given you something to declare that points to his faithfulness, then he will also give you a strategy for reaching the hearts of your readers. It's never too early or too late to begin or revisit your branding and marketing plan for the message God has given you. We are super excited to announce Roar 2021, our second She Writes for Him virtual conference of the year, and it's coming up May 14th and 15th. You may already be published in the process or the book idea might even just still be in your head. No matter, there are basics to accomplish in order to establish your platform more advanced tips and tools to expand your reach, and even some relaunch techniques to help give your previously published message new traction in the marketplace. We have an incredible faculty lined up to help you take that next step. Whether it's a one sheet, or a book launch, or a podcast, or a giveaway to help build up your email list, we will deliver interactive sessions with the experts and laser-focused workshops to build the tools you need. You will walk away with a master plan that you can use to build or expand your platform so that you can effectively provide hope and healing to others. For all the details and to take advantage of a special discount, Visit com, and we hope to see you there. Well, hey, I wanted to do something a little bit differently this week. Rather than having a second guest, I wanted to spend a little time sharing my thoughts on this interview with Denise and the content of her book. I can distinctly remember a time in my life before I surrendered to Christ when a lady asked me if I was a Christian. I thought to myself, well, I'm not Jewish, and I'm an American, so yeah, I'm a Christian. And I was serious. I seriously thought I was a Christian, and I had no idea what that meant so it is with many who say the prayer they were just told that's your ticket into heaven and i love the way denise lovingly points us back to scripture what does the word of god say what started as a concerned letter to her siblings became a book a literal wake-up call for all of us who are serious about our faith and want to make sure we are not deceiving ourselves. I am reminded that just this scripture just kept coming back to me as I interviewed Denise, as I pondered it after the interview. There's a scripture where King David in Psalm 119, 29 through 32, says this to God, and this is the New Living Translation. Keep me from lying to myself. Give me the privilege of knowing your instructions. I have chosen to be faithful. I have determined to live by your regulations. I cling to your laws. Lord, don't let me be put to shame. I will pursue your commands, for you expand my understanding." the heart is deceitfully wicked. It's so easy for us to deceive ourselves. And that's why scripture tells us we have to test ourselves. We have to examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith. So this book really is such a great encouragement in a very loving way to examine ourselves, test ourselves for each one of us, who professes faith. I love the example of the mom encouraging her 12 year old daughter rather than just saying, Oh, you're saved. You're good. Remember that day you went and, and surrendered your life? She didn't do that. She encouraged her to go to first John and test herself. And I just think about that. We live in a world that gives trophies to everyone so no one's feelings get hurt. And I think this mentality has taken over the church. We don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. So we soften the gospel and water it down. Wow. I love how Denise said it. What is the pattern of our life? Do I hate my sin or love my sin? Do we want to please the Lord or ourselves? How do we respond when we're confronted with our sin? Do we spin it? In other words, do we minimize it? Do we deflect it? Do we compare ourselves to others and say, well, we're not that bad? Or do we repent? I just want to wrap up with sharing a few snippets from the book that I found compelling. At the end of each chapter is a specific truth to remember, and then a list of questions to ask yourself. In the chapter on confession, in the remember box, it said, When we confess our sin, we agree with God that what he calls sin is really sin. It's not our sin that keeps us from a relationship with God, but rather our attitude toward our sin and how we deal with it. Whew, that is powerful. In the chapter titled, Examine Your Loves, after covering a myriad of worldly loves that we can slip into and be smitten by, the author makes the statement, that we live in a selfie generation where preoccupation with self has been normalized. But the Scottish preacher, Robert Murray McChain, said this, For every look at self, take ten looks at Christ. I love that. That is so, so powerful, so simple, but so true. We should be preoccupied with Christ, not with self. So much truth in this book Seven Words You Never Want to Hear How to Be Sure You Won't by Denise Wilson. Highly recommended. So if you would like to connect with the author, Denise Wilson, you can find her at her website, DeniseWilson.ca. I would encourage you to reach out to her and get a copy of this book, Seven Words You Never Want to Hear, How to Be Sure You Won't. Cannot more highly recommend it. So good. Have a great week, and I'll see you next time. Well, thanks for joining us today for the All Things Podcast brought to you by Redemption Press and the Romans 828 Bookstore. So, hey, I'd like to ask you a favor. If you would, consider sharing this episode with your friends on social media. And if you haven't yet left a review of the podcast on Apple, I would love it if you would take a minute to do that as it would help other people find the show and also let them know that it's a show worth listening to. So thanks so much for joining us today, and I will see you next week. Bye for now.